0: James, chapter number five. Well, we've we've been in James. Uh, I, I confession to you, we started in the book of James in July uh, the third of last year. So we've been in the book of James for quite some time. Now I don't think we're going to make it a full year. I think we're going to wrap up before we reach uh, the one year anniversary of it. But we'll see. You never know. All right. As slow as we go through some of these verses, it might take us a while to get to the end. But well, we're we're making our way there. All right. James, chapter number five is where we're this morning. Let's let's read these verses and then we're going to pray together and ask for the Lord's help and then uh, we'll dive into them together this morning. Okay, James chapter number five, look with me if you would at verse number 14. It says this, Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church. And let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be Forgiven him. And I'll be honest with you, in studying through the book of James, I don't know that we've came to more uh, complex verses in the book of James uh, than these verses. And this morning as we, we dive into it, I, I've studied... Uh, in depth this week. Uh, every every week I shared shared with Isaac this morning that you know this this week was a little bit more in extensive study. Um, the last couple weeks as as I've been preparing for this, he said, "Oh yeah." I said, "So this one took you a little bit longer than 45 minutes, like the other ones normally do." I said, "Thanks a lot, Isaac." And so no, this was uh, this was one. It did take. Uh, a, I spent an immense amount of studying here, and uh, I'll be honest with you. By the end of the service, we may or may not come to a conclusion. We'll just see what happens. Okay, uh, but uh, we we are going to dive into the scriptures this morning. So let's do this. Let's pray and ask for the Lord to help us this morning, uh, just like we always do, and then we'll dive into the scriptures together. So let's pray. Father, thank you for this opportunity you've given us to open your word. And God, as we do, I pray now that you would use your word in a in a powerful way. And God, I pray that there would be clarity, Lord, maybe where there's confusion. Pray, God, that you would, uh, Lord, lift the mist uh, that maybe is formed in some people's lives over these verses, misunderstandings and complexities that we see here. But I pray, God, that they'd be clarified this morning. And God, when we walk out of here, Lord, we may not know everything, but God, I pray that we'd be a little more clear on these ones. I pray, Lord, that you'd be with each person that's here. If somebody here doesn't know you as their Savior, I pray today they'd get that settled. And God, I just pray that above all things, God, that we would glorify you. Help me now, to say what you want me to say. Give me the strength, Lord, as I preach that I need. And I pray, God, that you would uh, be glorified with everything that's said and done. We give you the glory for it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, as I mentioned, these these verses are, are somewhat complex, all right? The, the complexity comes not in the actual words that are recorded, but what may seem to be a contradiction between what's scripturally written and what's practically experienced in some people's lives. Uh, one author that I read this week said that these two verses are the most complex in all of the New Testament. And uh, as you read them this morning, maybe you thought, Kyle, I don't really understand why you're having such a difficult time. But, uh, you know, hey, I guess now you understand how simple I am, all right? As I've studied in great depth these verses... Um, I in the context, I believe what we will discuss today will be both scripturally supported, and will hopefully shine some clarity, shine, shine some light on some things that may be per, be perceived as contradictions, or or maybe we think that they don't line up. And I hope at the end of the service that we will be able to come to an agreement. And if we come to the service into the service, and, and you don't agree with the premise that we come to, well, um, you can be wrong, and I can be right. All right. So but no, I'm just kidding. Uh, I hope if we come to the end that we can agree to, to disagree, but then agree to continue to study the scriptures together, because Romans 14.5 tells us, let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. And uh, I hope that will be where we're at at the end of the service. So with that being said, there are some definite truths that we can find in these verses, and that we can dogmatically and assuredly stand upon. And with those, we will shout where the Bible shouts, but in other areas where the Bible is a little bit quieter and whispers, we won't shout so loud. Uh, the problem is when we take something that maybe the Bible and the Lord, in His sovereignty, that He leaves it a little bit more vague. Something that He doesn't shine quite as much, uh, shine sh- as much light upon. Leaves it so it's not quite as clear. And when we take something that God uh, intended to be that way, and when we take it and we dogmatically stand upon it and say, this is what it means, uh, that's whenever we can get into some trouble. And so this morning, just like we always do, we want to study the Scripture within its context, dive into these verses without preconceived ideas that maybe we've heard or maybe we've just always believed and I hope this morning that we'll let the Scripture speak for itself. and it we will take from the Word of God what God desires for us to get today. So as we begin, don't forget where we are in this book that James is writing. As always, context is king in understanding and interpreting the scriptures. So to forget the context would take away from the power and the point of what he's saying in this morning's message. James is writing to the first century believers who had endured various trials, persecutions. They had, they had faced resistance in their life. And in chapter 5 specifically, we dealt with their injustice that they were being defrauded. And we saw just a few weeks back that James challenged them to let their words actually mean something and to follow through and then last week we we asked the question is any afflicted is any merry and we saw the overarching theme that the conclusion of this book to turn your eyes to God how well through prayer and through praise in the final eight verses of this this book Seven times James deals with the matter of prayer. You can mark it down at the end of this book. James is emphasizing something. He is emphasizing prayer. And we're going to see that this morning. The last week, we spent time discussing prayer. And this week and in the concluding weeks, we will discuss it in various aspects. Today, Let's dive into these verses and try to get a biblical understanding of exactly what James was talking about when he penned these words. You understand, anytime you read the scriptures, you have to read it within its context, with the verses surrounding it, historically, and with who he had in mind that he was writing to. And with those things in mind with that with that as our background let's dive into the word of God this morning. First of all, we see this the people that were involved. The people that are involved, all right? This might come across, I know sometimes we, we we have messages that are more preachy, I guess you could say, some that are more teachy. This one might be a combination of the both, all right? And uh, maybe as we get toward the end, it'll be more preachy, but at the beginning, it might be more teachy, all right? Uh, verse number uh, 14 says this at the very beginning. It says, as any sick among you, let him call the elders of the church, all right? So we see the people that are involved in this verse. As, as James begins this verse, there are three groups of people that, that James draws. Attention to the, and, and we're going to work from the, the last back to the beginning. The first group that we're going to talk about this morning that James talks about is the last group he talks about the church. The church. It's clear that the one whom James is, is talking about as sick had a church. Family that he belonged to the church. Now I'm grateful for the institution of the local New Testament church. I'm thankful for those that have been coming and joining as we've been talking through membership and talking about what the church is and and, and the make, the makeup of the church. I'm thankful that you are faithful to the church. The the church. Listen, some people say, "Well, you know, I can just have church on top of a mountain somewhere." No, the Bible is very clear. We're not supposed to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. That's that's a biblical command that we're supposed to come together and it's for multiple purposes but one of them is for edification of one another to encourage one another to be there for one another so that we can pray for one another that's that's a very important part of the church now I know this, just like any uh, any membership group, there's going to be a few crazy ones, all right? That's just the way that it is, uh, you know, and, and, and the church did not escape that. Uh, let's just be honest, there's probably, no doubt in our church, some crazy uncles, there's probably some crazy aunts, all right? It's just the way that it is, and and uh, that's just the reality of the situation, and uh, if you don't know who the crazy uncle is in the church, it's probably you, and so that's, uh, no, uh, it just, uh, there, there just is what it is. The gospel light, they've said, attract uh, some strangers bugs and uh, that's just that's just the reality of the situation but you know at the end of the day as a church we are a family and we ought to love one another we ought to encourage one another we ought to undoubtedly care for one another and that was the case in the situation the bible tells us that there elders of the church this man had a group of believers a group of people that loved him that cared for him maybe they ministered to him probably prayed for him and I hope that you make it a priority when you know somebody is hurting in the church to come along and to lift them up to encourage them. I hope you don't treat the church like a social gathering but like a family that loves and cares for one another so the, the the first group, the last group mentioned that we find is the church. The second group that he talks about is the elders of the church. He says there. He says let the uh, call the elders of the church. The the word that he used here speaks of the appointed leadership of the church. The church may refer to them as elders. Some traditionally in, in the Baptist churches have called them pastors. There's, they, they, it kind of has a little bit different nuance to it, exactly what role that they are fulfilling. But the most important, uh, more important than the terms that are used is the role that they are filling. As as we're going to see in a moment, the elder pastors should be those which care for the congregants, specifically here in James, those who are hurting, and we'll see in a moment that one of the key roles in that leadership should that they should fill is that of prayer, and we'll talk more about that in just a second. The third person is the first one, and and uh, we want to make sure we're clear on who this is. is Is the person that the Bible says who is sick, who is sick now? This is, this is where I believe some of the confusion begins, where it comes from. When we read the word sick, we we immediately jump to the idea of somebody that's in a hospital bed with cancer or with some type of disease that they are fighting. That's our immediate uh, idea that we jump to. And, and while that, that is certainly included in this, if you dig a little bit deeper, or in the context of the passage, we we find that 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 word "sick" is the Greek word "astheneo." Okay, so it's, it's a little bit different word. You say "kind of" means nothing to me; it means nothing to me either. Okay, but the root word, the root, root Greek word, there has the idea of of not being uh, having disease. It has the idea of being weak. Okay, so the weakness can be caused yes by sickness, but the weakness can be caused by by other things as well. In fact, that, that word asaneo in the Greek, it's, it's found 36 times, 16 times it's rendered sick, 16 times it's rendered weak. So we could kind of say that they are somewhat interchangeable with one another. And as we study this passage within the context, we we must ask the question, which is James referring to specifically? Is he specifically referring to physical ailment, such as cancer or disease? Or is James referring to someone who has become weak because of overwhelming circumstances, because of oppression, because of resistance that they have faced? Because of decisions that they have made, maybe, that place them in this place. Well, the reality is, at the end of the day, we can't be dogmatic either way. But I think at the end, I I think we'll begin to get a little bit more rounded view of maybe what James was specifically talking about. So the first thing that we see is the people that are involved. All right, the people that are involved. Now, let's jump into the second part, okay? We're we're just walking through this real quick. And then, like I said, we'll get to the preachy part in just a moment, okay? We see the process that's prescribed okay the process that's prescribed now look with me again verse number 14 and the first part of verse 15 it says this is any man uh, is any sick among you let him call for the elders of the church let them pray over him anointing him with oil in the name of the lord and the prayer of faith shall save the sick the bible says now james is walking through the process for the sick weak man's healing and recovery First of all, we see that that he is to call for the elders to come to him. Now this gives us the idea that this person is too weak to come to the elders of the church himself. Uh, They have to come to him. In fact, as it talks about praying over him, as the idea that this guy's not even able to rise up out of bed, that he's just so uh, overwhelmed with his circumstances, whether it was sickness or or something else, uh, the gravity of that situation, the passing uh, uh, difficulty that, that they are facing, this isn't something minor. This isn't something that's just, just uh, you know. Well, I got a hangnail. You know, will you come and pray over me? That's that's not the situation that he's dealing with here. In fact, it's not even something that might even be considered more serious. We're talking. This is to the point that they cannot even rise out of bed. They're so overwhelmed. They're so broken in that moment. And you probably, many of us have probably seen someone that's been there. Maybe some of us in this room have even been there before where you just, you can't even get out of bed. So broken in your situation, whether it was physical or, or emotional, mental, something like that. It's something that has literally taken the strength from them. They are so weak they can't even rise, but they initiate the request. The quest does not come from the elders. The elders didn't say, hey, can we come and pray over you? No, he, he calls out and he says, listen, maybe you sent somebody for him and, and said, listen, can you please have them to come and to pray over me? It's initiated by the person to come and to pray over them. This was not some person, we'll talk about this more. This is not some person walking into a hospital. Uh, well, they never go to the hospital, they always go, go and, it wasn't somebody walking over and hitting somebody on the head or, or, or something like that, okay? That's not what this was. This was somebody that, that said, listen, I need, I need prayer. This is very serious. This is overwhelming. And then we see that the elders of the church are to come and to pray over him. And here, here's where we get into the to the weeds, okay? Anointing him with oil. Anointing him with oil. <clears throat> this is where we are going to give a um, a little plug for anybody that sells essential oils in our church. So, No, I'm just kidding. Okay, we're not, not going to do that. Okay. but. He says, anointing them with oil. Much has been made of the second part of this verse. I mean, like, in fact, entire religions and and denominations have taken these verses and spawned entire doctrines based on the second half of this verse. The the Catholic Church uh, has, has taught that this verse, they use this verse... That they believe when someone is about to die that they are supposed to be anointed with oil. It is one of the sacraments that are given before they pass on into eternity. Now listen, that goes directly in contradiction with everything that this is saying here. It says whenever somebody's anointed with oil, they're supposed to rise up. They're supposed to live, okay, not die. So it goes completely contradictory to, to what uh, the, the Catholic uh, Catholic religion has, has taken it to mean. Some charismatic churches have taken this to mean that there's some sort of healing properties in the oils or the giftings of the people administering them. But again, this puts the emphasis in the wrong place upon Study of the matter of anointing with oil, we find that there are very use various uses of it in the scriptures okay and uh, you go to the old Testament and uh, we find that when David was anointed to be the next king you remind, you'll remember Samuel came to him in first king first Samuel chapter sixteen and in verse number thirteen it says then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren and the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward so Samuel rose up and went to Ramah so the oil that was that was given was was a symbol of the anointing of the holy spirit that the holy spirit it was a, it was a picture it was a ceremony that was done as a picture that the holy spirit was filling him was indwelling him it was done as a symbol it was a symbolic anointing in the new testament we have other uses of oil in Luke chapter number ten, we have the story of the, the the good Samaritan. And and you remember as he's traveling along on that day, and he looks over and he sees the Jewish man that, that's left for dead on the side of the road. And the Bible tells us he had compassion on him. And in verse number thirty-three, in chapter number ten of Luke, it says, But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, he came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him, and he went to him and he bound up his wounds. It says this, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. Now I don't know about you. That sounds like Like that would just burn. It doesn't sound like that would be very comforting, all right. Uh, But but understand within the context of history, that was the medicine that they had. They didn't have ibuprofen. They didn't have morphine. They didn't have many of the drugs that we have. This morning we were on the other side, and, and Barbara was telling uh, Tressa, Tressa's struggling with some, some allergies and things like that, and Barbara was saying, hey, maybe you should try this medicine. We have medicines that, that, have, been, that, that have been provided for us uh, in the world that we live in today. Praise God for the, the advances of technology. Uh, that's, that's such a, that's a blessing. And so, but, but back then they didn't have those things. Listen, I guarantee it, that guy's lying on the side of the road uh, about, you know, left for dead. If he had the option of, hey, can you give me some, you know, I don't know, ibuprofen or if you can put me some, you know, a little bit of olive oil on me, uh, he would have chose one over the other, right? But that's what they had. And so at that time, he, he poured in the oil on him, what? It was used for medicinal purposes, it had, a, had a, a practical use to, to help to, 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 to bind up some of those wounds. So here in James, it is possible that he's referring to a ceremonial symbolic anointing with oil. That, that is possible that that could be what he's, he, he's referring to, a picture of, of setting a person apart uh, for specific prayer to God. That, that's definitely possible. It could be the interpretation. But I'll be honest with you personally, I lean toward the use of medical purposes. And here's why. The word anoint there gives the idea of rubbing the oil in, not just simply touching someone with it. That's the idea of massaging the oil into the muscles, so massaging it into the, the sore places uh, that, that the person is feeling. And not, not just simply pouring it on them, but actually rubbing it in. Now, I have no interest in start- starting the first massage parlor of Whitehall Baptist Church, where Isaac and I would be the masseuses. Okay, I have no interest in that. Uh, it's not uh, not something that we're planning on uh, planning on uh, moving forward with. Even if some of you in the room think that would be a great idea, uh, we're just not going that direction. All right. Now, m- the most likelihood was that James was was stating the importance uh, of praying for the sick and the weak person, and then allowing medicine to be implemented when necessary. But don't miss the emphasis of the verse, because here's the truth. There's going to be people that are probably already mad about this, and they're like, well, no, I think this, and I think it's that, and all this. and And, And here's what happens. Everybody gets so caught up on the second half of that verse of the anointing with oil that they miss the actual point of the whole passage. The point of the passage had nothing to do with the anointing with oil. The point of the passage was all about the prayer over that person. The Bible tells us there uh, that, that, listen, if any sick among you, let him call the elders of the church and let him pray over him. That is the point. In fact, like we already mentioned over and over again, he talks about this, about prayer over and over. That was the point of this passage. That was the, the thing that really mattered. Whether oil was used as a symbol or simply as medicine, James is drawing attention to the importance of prayer for the struggling person. The first phrase in that verse, of ver- chapter number fi- verse number 15, is very interesting though. Because as we go through and we get past the oil, the next part, that first part of verse number 15, again, draws attention to, to the point of this whole thing. In verse number 15, he says, and the prayer of faith shall save the sick. The prayer of faith shall save the sick. Now, some believe, and I have even heard taught, that it is the amount of faith that a person has. That's what it's talking about there. If you just pray without wavering, absolute faith without doubt, then God always answers that request with the answer requested. Now let's be clear for a moment, okay, before we really dive into this and kind of tear that part apart, Uh, but but I want us to, to understand, God does do miracles, We serve a miracle-working God. In fact, the the Bible is full of miracles that God performed. From the parting of the the waters to the very creation of the world. From from the falling of fire from heaven to to fire that that three young Hebrew boys walked into and they walked away unburned uh, for not even the smell of smoke on their garments. From the healing of the lame, deaf, and blind to the feeding of thousands multiple occasions. The greatest miracle of all that we can think of. Jesus Christ giving His life on the cross physically dying and three days later rising again listen we have a miracle working god and he did not stop at the conclusion of the book of revelation god continues to do miracles every day when somebody gets saved can i tell you that that is a miracle of god somebody coming to that place of accepting christ as their savior that is a miracle You may not understand it that way, but it is. I mean, to think that God literally can take somebody's eternal destination uh, and take their soul from eternity in a lake of fire to taking it spending eternity with Him, it's a miracle of God. I've watched in my own life as God has done miracles in the lives of people as direct answers to prayer. I've seen it happen in my own life where I've prayed without telling anybody, asking God to do something and watching God intervene and work in miraculous ways ways. He is a miracle working God. So let's make sure that that's clear. But many have taken verse number 15 and have twisted it to fit a name it and claim it narrative that is totally unscriptural. That is not what he's talking about here. That is not what he's referring to. God is not some genie in a lamp that you rub and he gives you some wishes. Any religion that teaches that is no more than a snake oil salesman, and I'll just be honest with you, if you believe that's what it is, I've got some oceanfront property in Arizona that I'd be happy to make a deal on with you. All right? That's not the case. That's not what he's talking about here. On a more serious note, and probably more personal note, many have taught that this verse is a proof that if you just have enough faith, and pray whatever you ask is how it will be answered i wonder how many of us though have prayed for something and we really 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 believed it and we really 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 believed that god was going to answer it the way that we wanted it to be answered and you really really thought you had enough faith to make it happen and then it didn't well now what do we do (laughs) Because now we have a problem. Clearly God's word is untrue. A promise was made in the scriptures by God and God didn't deliver. And one of the saddest things is when someone walks away from God, and I've I've seen this happen over and over again, because they were taught this verse is a proof that God always answers our requests the way that we ask it if we just have enough faith and we believe it enough. For a moment here, I want to attempt to shed some light on what I believe is the correct understanding of this verse. I do not claim to have a corner on God's word, but I believe we should be able to come to an understanding that is in harmony with the rest of Scripture that fits in the context of the passion, this passage. So the first question we have to ask is whose prayer of faith saves the sick? Whose prayer of faith saves the sick? This is important, okay? Again, listen, I told Trust, I said, sometimes we've got, you know, some milk. Sometimes it's 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 a little bit of some tender meat. Sometimes it's some real tough meat, okay? This morning's some tough meat, okay? I hope you came with not just your fork to cut through, but you came with a pretty sharp knife, all right? Because we're diving into the, the, I mean, we're getting into the weeds this morning, but this is good. If you stick with me, I think the Lord will speak to you through this, okay? Whose prayer of faith saves the sick? Well, listen, it isn't the person who requested the prayer. It isn't the sick person. That's not who God says. It isn't their family member, though no doubt they probably wanted them to pray. And they wanted to see this happen. No, the Bible says it was the elders of the church. Now, that doesn't mean that God only answers the prayers of the preacher. That's not what he was saying here. In fact in, in, in the coming weeks we're going to dive further into this idea of the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man that availeth much. That really is the key in this but, but there's there's an important emphasis that's being drawn here in our study of the qualifications of a bishop or a pastor or an elder that we find some things find something that I think is very important that sheds some light on this. Why did he say this? Well in 1 Timothy chapter number three, he's going through the qualifications of a pastor, okay. If any man desires the office of a bishop, a pastor, an elder, and then he goes through and he says, "Here's some of the qualifications." We're going to talk about them here in just a couple of weeks over uh, during our Sunday school time. But he goes through and he's mentioning all these. And in verse number six, he says this: the first three words, "Not a novice." Not a novice. Let's be lifted up with pride to fall into condemnation of the devil. Now, the word novice there does not mean the pastor can't be young, all right? Uh, that, now, now, listen, there is wisdom to a pastor having some years behind him. Praise God for that. I find myself on a regular basis every day saying, God, will you give me wisdom, all right? Because I understand that I don't have the life experience of some other people in this room. And so that's that sometimes we look at that and say, well, when it talks about novice, it's just talking about age. But that's not actually what that word novice is referring to. It actually carries with it the idea of not a new convert, all right? It's it's not talking about age, it's actually talking about how long they've actually known Christ. That's that's really what it's talking about here. Why? This is the way it's supposed to work. The longer that you know Christ, the better you should know His Word. The more firm you should know His Word, the stronger your faith should be when it comes to knowing Him. So The very word elder comes with it the idea of aged or experienced. That they've been around God and His Word for some time. That they have a deeper understanding of the Scriptures. So God draws attention to the need for the person praying to be spiritually mature but that isn't the final emphasis don't miss this okay not only do we have to see whose prayer of faith it is one of spiritual maturity we must understand what the prayer of faith is sometimes we'll say things like say phrases like just just have faith just have some just have faith just you just need to have more faith and you know what the problem with that the emphasis is all on us It's all on me. Well, if I just have enough faith. Well, if I just believe enough. You know, if if I'm just like, you know, Dorothy and I just click my heels three times and I just really believe, then, then it'll all work out. You know, if I if I just do this and I do that and I and I do these things and I just really believe, then that's enough. But listen, the problem is it's all on. Us, the emphasis of the word there, faith, the prayer of faith, the faith that he's talking about there is not an emphasis on how much faith that you have, how much belief that you have. The idea there is the one that it's placed in. That's the emphasis. The person that that is directed towards. When James uses that word faith, it's not about the person believing enough. It's the object the faith is placed in. The weight is not on the person that's believing. The weight is on the person believed in. So you say, well, I believe God can do it then. It's great that you believe that God can, but that still isn't what James is trying to get across. Whew, man, I tell you, we're getting deep here, all right? James is not saying, well, if you believe God can do it, then God does it. No. The prayer of faith is not based on outcomes, it's based on the per- person. The emphasis is on God. Listen, the prayer of faith is, God, I want to pray in your will. I want to pray in your will. God, I'm, I'm trusting not that you're going to do what I want. God, I'm trusting that what you do is best. You get that? The prayer of Faith, it's not about, God, I have enough faith. It's not even, God, I have faith that you're going to do it. It's, God, I have faith that what you do is best. Okay, let's, let's try to get a little clarity here. 1 John, all right? 1 John, uh, I, I promise I'd never go back to these verses, and here we are, okay? 1 John chapter number 5, all right? Some of, some of these very uh, difficult verses, okay? We're just covering all of them this morning. In verse number 14, he says this, and this is the confidence that we have, that if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. Now, did you catch that, okay? Did you catch the qualifier for everything else that's about ready to be said, okay? If you ask anything according to his Will okay, we're praying within the will of God. God, what you deem is best. Okay, He heareth us. Now, verse number fifteen goes on, and if we know that He hears us, they hear us. Whatsoever we ask, we know that we have petitions that we desired of Him. Okay, so God, if I'm praying within Your will and it's Your will, then God, I know that what You do is best, and God, we know that You're going to answer that prayer. All right, so here we are. Now we come to a verse that that after this that that honestly, it just doesn't seem like it fits. But when we look, we'll understand that it does. Verse number 16 says, His brother sin a sin, which is not unto death. He shall ask, and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. There is a sin unto death. I do not say that you shall pray for it. Okay, listen. I'm telling you, we're in the weeds. Things are difficult. Let's see if we can make some sense of this, okay? John says, if you see a brother who is continually sinning, you should pray for him. And God, if God willing, will spare his life. That's what he says. He says, listen, if somebody's away from God, they're a believer. They are a, a brother. They are somebody that is trusted in Christ, but they are away from Christ. And, and the idea of sin, a sin has the idea of not just sitting once. They're continually in sin. It's just their lifestyle. It's what they are doing. He says, Listen, you pray for that person, and he said, God will answer that prayer. It is God's will that they will return back to him. It's like, okay, great, that's, that's great. But then he goes on and he says this, but there is a sin that, that is unto death, okay? He says, listen, there, there is a sin, and I do not say that you shall pray for it. What? What is this talking about, okay? Well, well let's, let's see if we can explain, okay? It, it's a somber su- subject. He says there's a point in the life of a believer where they are sinning a sin, continually in sin. He says where they are doing more damage to the Lord's name and there's no willingness to repent, and instead of delivering them, God instead just takes them home early. Now, they do not lose their salvation. That's not part of it. That's, in fact, 1 John is all about the assurance of the believer. But they are no longer willing to get things right, even though God's loving chastisement has been brought upon them. And what James is saying to the believers who are praying is sometimes God's answer is no. sometimes he doesn't answer the way that we're hoping now here's the key we don't know who's who in the is in the situation okay we, we don't know who who God's going to deliver who, who's God's will for not to, we we don't know so what should we do well we should pray here's the key okay sometimes God's will doesn't line up with what we might want and so more important than praying for God to answer the prayer the way you want, we must pray according to the will of God. It's a prayer of faith, not that God will answer how we want, but he will answer according to his will, because his will is always best, even when we don't think it is. Jesus and his disciples asked, uh, asked Jesus a good question in Luke. Luke chapter number one, eleven verse number one, it says that uh, that they came to him and, and, and they said, Lord, teach us to pray. Just like John taught his disciples. And in verse number two, he said unto them, When ye pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth, as in earth, so in, so as in heaven, so in earth. See, before he told them to pray for their daily bread. Before he told them to pray for their needs, their wants, their desires, he said, first, you need to pray, God, your will above everything else. God, if this isn't your will, then I want your will above my will. Jesus, there he is in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before his crucifixion. You remember how he prayed, Father, if thou be willing... Remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. God, your plan is greater. Your will is best. Do you want to know why James drew emphasis to the elders of the church being the ones praying? Because it takes spiritual maturity to pray not according to my will, but to pray the prayer of faith that says, above anything, God, we need your will. We want your will to be done. Now let's wrap it up, okay? See, the people involved, the process that's prescribed, okay, the way they're supposed to do it, and then we see a promised outcome, a promised outcome. Look at verse 15 again. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if you have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Now James makes it very clear. When we pray within the will of God, God answers according to his will. Do you get that? Okay. If we pray and our prayer is according to God's will, God will always answer according to his will. That's that's the way that that it works. But don't miss who it is that raises up the person, okay? It's it's not our prayers, it's God that does the work, it's God that lifts the person up. Some would try to steal from the praise of God and say that it was their prayers or their faith. That did the work. No, friend, it is always God that does the work. It's always about Him. That's what we talked about last week prayer and praise. It's all about God. It's all about Him. By the way, whenever you take medicine to relieve some type of pain or sickness, some type of modern uh, gift that God has given to us, it's still God that takes away the pain and the sickness. It's still God. It's always and always will be all about God. Yes, God has given us that gift of modern medicine, but it's still his power that gives the healing. Now, the last part of this verse, I believe, gives further clarification to just who the sick is that he's referring to in these verses. Okay? Again, I listen, I'll be honest with you. When I first started studying this, this was a struggle for me because I had always heard it taught a different way. But in the context it didn't fit in there. It was kind of like God's talking about all these other things and all of a sudden there's just like this one verse, that he, two verses that he drops in there and then he jumps back to something else and it was just like, what's going on here? If we read it within the context, I think we can start to understand what he's getting at. James here says at the end, if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. James equates sin with sickness. Now, Let's be clear, okay? Again, we're trying to clarify things this morning. Not all sickness is a result of sin, all right? Uh, we, we know over, we preached that not too long ago with John chapter number nine. The disciples see the, the blind man outside of the temple and he, he comes out and says, They say, Why was this man born blind? Was it because he or his parents sinned? And Jesus said, It's not because of their sin, it's that the works of God may be manifest in him, okay? So sin is not always, our sickness is always, not always a result of sin. But, sin always has consequences. Sin does cause problems. And when we treat our temple, the temple of God, like a pub, <laughs> and we live in sin, often there are consequences associated with that sin. You understand that what we're getting at here? If you're living in sin and you end up with AIDS it is a consequence of sin there is a direct correlation to it if you're if you're living in sin and you get in an accident because you're an alcoholic there's a correlation sickness pain to sin not always okay you understand one one is not it's not a one to one ratio here okay but understand when there is sin involved there is always pain there is always struggle Oftentimes physical, but listen, always, here's the key always spiritual. Always spiritual. Sin never has and never will bring anybody closer to God. When there is sin in our life, it will always cause pain, it'll always bring us further away from the Lord. And it very well may have been the point of James's writing that some of those believers had become spiritually weak because they had fallen into condemnation that he talked about in verse 9, that he talked about in verse number 12, about begrudging or or not standing true to their word. Maybe they were just so hurt over the defrauding and the false accusations that were coming against them, the, the things that they were having to face. Maybe they were so broken because of this that they couldn't even rise from their bed, and they called on the elders of the church to come And to encourage them. They needed spiritual prayer for them. Galatians chapter number 6 gives us that example in verse number 1. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual. You catch that? Spiritual. Restore such a one in a spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. See, God in his will will forgive their sins, and he'll give them strength and restore them if their sickness and their weakness is caused because of sin in their life. Now, we've reached kind of the conclusion here, Okay. We've probably caused a great deal of confusion throughout the service, and uh, there's a lot of things that we cannot dogmatically stand upon, and you may come up to me after the service today and say, Kyle, I don't agree with what you said today, and say, you know what, after I finish preaching today, I don't agree with it either, okay? You know, but I mean, listen, I I hope that there's some areas that we have shed some light on as we've looked at this within the context, but listen, there are some practical things that we can dogmatically and emphatically stand upon and say. And I tell you this, first of all, God does desire for us to pray. God does desire for us to pray. It is one of the greatest struggles in the Christian life. sincere, focused time in prayer. It's one of the greatest missed opportunities is that relationship with God where we have the opportunity to come to him and bring our request to him. And so many Christians don't do it. That is something that we can say emphatically. God desires for you to pray. And listen, God desires for us to pray for others. Do you understand? Most of the time, our prayers are so self centered. God help me, God work this out in my life, God take care of this situation that I'm going through, God, it's all about me. No, no, no. God wants you to pray for others. God wants you to look for needs that others may have and to spend time praying for them and to let them know that you are praying for them. We don't always know the will of God in every situation, so you know what you should do? Pray. Pray for them in that situation. Pray that God's will would be done and pray for them. Until God gives clarity on which way he's going to answer, trust his will and pray. And listen, friend, we know this. God does answer prayer God does answer prayer and we should pray and when we pray and we pray according to his will and God answers according to his will can I tell you this God's answer is always best even when we in our human finite minds can't see it even when we don't understand God's answer and his will is always best. So, friend, what can we dogmatically say? What can we emphatically say? We can say, listen, you should pray. You should pray for others. And God answers prayer. And we'll talk more about that in the weeks to come. This morning, I hope that you'll commit, above all things, to being a person of prayer before the Lord and allow God to work in your life. Let's pray together as we finish the service. Father, thank you for what you've done this morning. Thank you for the opportunity that you've given us to be able to come and to be able to worship you and to praise you. And God, now to offer a sacrifice of prayer to you, I pray, Lord, that you would help us in our lives, Lord, to have clarity in the scriptures as we look at these things. God, I, I pray, Lord, you know that um, that your word is, is what really matters. I pray, God, that you'd help your word, your Holy Spirit, to intervene in our hearts and our lives and maybe shed some light on some of these things that are still a little vague, a little difficult to comprehend. I pray, God, that we would see it and we'd understand it with clarity this morning. With heads bowed and with eyes closed, we're going to have a time here at the end of the service where I want to